Well, hey, good morning. How you guys doing here in Grant? Good? Over a baseline. Hey, how's it going over there? I love it when I get up to preach because everyone's like, oh, Pastor Chris is gone. Pastor Chris is gone. Where is he? <laughs> pastor Chris is gone this week. I am not Pastor Chris. I am Shane. I'm the worship pastor here at Foothill. It's so great to have you have you with us today. Uh, so hello to you, Grant. Hello at baseline. If you're new with us today, uh, we do church a little, little differently now. Uh, a few months ago, we were running out of space over at baseline and parking spots, and so we decided to utilize both campuses. So if you're new today, you're not experiencing anything weird here, uh, but baseline, hello, uh, you're hearing me on video live, and about half the time the preacher is here at Grand, about half the time the preacher is live over at baseline. So hello to everyone today, glad you're here. We're in part, we're going to be uh, part 21 of Galatians. You have heard 21 sermons on the book of Galatians, six chapters, 21 sermons. We have three left, okay? We are, this is the home stretch today. And then two more. So by the end of this month, we will be done with Galatians, and we'll be going launching in uh, July. We'll be launching the book of Jonah uh, for the rest of the summer. So join us for the, you want to miss miss that. So um, uh, a few weeks ago, my family and I we we took a trip down to Disneyland. Okay, really far away, down the 57, down over to Disneyland. And uh, Thursday afternoon, got off work a little bit early, uh, headed down to Disneyland. Spent the, the rest of the day there. Finished with uh, World of Color. Who's seen World of Color? World of Color, California Adventure, yes, great show. Finished our night with that. My kids are just in awe of that show. Uh, uh, we went to sleep, and then we came back on Friday. Friday's my day off, and so came back on Friday and, and spent the day there as well. We showed up at Disneyland at 8.30 in the morning. It opened at 9, so we're there at the front gate. We enter the gate, and if you've been to Disneyland, you know you go down Main Street, and they have this big rope at the end because they block you off until it opens. So we're waiting there along with everybody, and, and as 9 o'clock approaches, everyone kind of squeezes in. They're, like, really excited to get in Disneyland. They're squeezing into the rope. You're all getting, you have your strollers. Everyone's pushing up against you, and you're, like, waiting. And then 9 o'clock hits, actually 8.59, and this magical music starts playing, this music that makes you believe that your day is going to be the most fabulous day that you've ever had in your life. And it, it, it starts playing and everyone's getting really excited, but you can't run. So the employees bring off the rope and everyone power walks. I mean, these are ferocious power walkers at Disneyland. And no matter how fast you power walk, Peter Pan is an hour long. Instantly, Peter Pan is an hour long wait. I don't understand that ride. So my family power walks to Fantasyland and they start riding these little rides. I power walk to Space Mountain, power walk to Star Tours. And I start getting fast passes, okay? Fast passes, you know what that is? It's like a ticket. You can go to the front of the line. It's incredible. So we start getting these fat. I start getting all these fast passes to these rides. Uh, we start doing fantasy land. Then we do all these other rides. I get more fast passes riding all the big. I mean, this day is awesome. By lunchtime, we had ridden most of the big rides at Disneyland. It was a fabulous day. We have lunch. Uh, we start getting tired early afternoon. So we head to our car, uh, get in the car, uh, start driving home. And man, it is a peaceful moment. My kids are spent. They are wore out from the day at Disneyland. And it's awesome. I get in the car. We put on some quiet music. The kids start resting. They one by one start falling asleep. And man, it had been a great night the night before. It had been a great day. We'd enjoyed our company with my family, enjoyed some good laughs together, power walk together, looked at that one hour Peter Pan line together. It was, it was just a great family day for us. But as we're, we're driving now in this car home, um, looking in the rearview mirror, and I'm realizing that my kids are sleeping, and they are at rest. They are at rest. I know they're physically at rest, but they are emotionally at rest. I mean, they had a fabulous day with their family, and now they can just enjoy. They, they don't get in the car and worry about where dinner is going to come from. 
they don't get in the car after a fabulous day and worry that we're going to make it home. They don't worry that dad and mom are going to provide for them what's next. They know they are my kids. I know I am their dad. And I, too, am sitting peacefully there knowing that my kids, they are mine. And they know that I love them. They know their identity, what their identity is found in and who they belong to. If you ask any of my kids, they'd say they, who they are. They'd tell you about their name. They'd tell you about their siblings. And they'd tell you about their mom and dad. They know who they belong to. They know what their identity is found in. And this is, this is crucial for us to know and for us to ask the same question. Where is your identity found in? Who do you belong to? Do you know where your identity is found? Are you at rest? Because like, like my children, getting in the car after a day of play at Disneyland, we too as Christians should, should, should sit at rest, trusting and knowing that God has done the work, that he has worked for us, and we rest in embracing the fact that we are children of God. So it's crucial we understand this as we look, we're going to look in Galatians chapter 6. So if you have some Bibles this morning, you can start opening to that. Um, and I encourage you, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew rack in front of you, baseline. There's one in the rack in the back of the room. You can stand up now and even get that if you're over there. They'll all cheer for you. Um, we'd love for you to, I don't want you to think I'm just making all this stuff up this morning, okay? We're going to read from Galatians chapter 6. So put your finger Galatians chapter 6. But you have to understand that, that, that all, all of your dysfunctions, yes, we are, we are dysfunctional people. All of your hurts, all of the sin that you deal with is, is part of our failure to embrace the gospel, the part of the gospel that we are children of God. Okay? All of your difficulties, all of your loneliness that you feel, the despair you feel at times is because of this fractured relationship with our creator and without reconciliation to God, we are left to our own devices to find our identity. Okay? So when, many of us place our identity in our work. We may place our identity in our spouse and who they are. We may place our identity in our children and what they are becoming. We may place our identity even worse in our children's sports. And all of those things are crushing because those things cannot hold the weight of identity. So if your identity is in your work, it's totally fine that you work 15 hours a day, that you're never home at dinner, that you miss your kids' activities, and you rail at your family. Just enjoy the things I buy for you, you might say to them. If your, your identity is in your son's baseball career, then, then one day your son will either get injured or he'll finally rise to a level where he just isn't good enough to play anymore. And you will always want, wonder back to those years, those good old years where your son just thrived and flourished in, in, in his baseball career and your world will come crushing down. And so, so I, I start with that. And look, look, do I love my wife? She's sitting right over here. Yes, I love my wife. But does she control my ultimate joy? No. Do I love my kids? Yes. Can they give me a bad day? Absolutely. But do they control the meaning of my whole world? The answer is no. My identity is in Jesus Christ. And like my kids after a day at play at Disneyland resting in the car, we rest as children of God in the knowledge of what God has already done for us. Okay? So the reason this is important as we drive into Galatians chapter 6 this morning is that, that we find our identity in Christ, and when we find our identity in Christ, he can hold our identity. He can hold the weight of our identity like nothing else can. And when our identity is in Jesus Christ, it gives us all the freedom in a, in a spirit-led community. It gives us the freedom to receive and give criticism to one another. 
And this is important as we dive into this. You see, if my identity right now is found in how well I am communicating to you and how well I'm preaching to you this morning, then I will be overly joyed on this side if you come up to me and tell me how great my sermon was today. I will, I will hold on to that. I will savor that. I will enjoy that, that, that comment you made. And on the other side, if, if I get an email saying how awful this sermon was, how my voice wants to make you vomit, and you will never come back to this church again, then I too will, will sleep well tonight. Because my identity isn't found in what I am doing right, right now. My identity is found in Christ, and it frees me up. It frees us up to need you to like me. I don't need you to like me. I don't need you to tell me how great I am doing. It's not where my worth is found in. I may appreciate feedback, but I'm not living and dying off of it. And when we live in this freedom, it just frees us up frees us up because our identity is found in Jesus Christ. So Paul in chapter 6 here now is going to be exploring what the title of this sermon is today, and that is a, a spirit-led community. Okay, so last week, if you're here, J.D. finished up chapter 5, and he talked about what does a spirit-led individual look like, okay? A person, a Christian who is led by the spirit, there are things that are rooted out of them, okay? There's this list of things that, that we just don't do anymore, and then there's this list, the fruit of the spirit that we do, love, joy, peace, patience, and so on. And now he's saying, okay, remember that person I just talked about a few sentences ago, that, that spirit-led Christian, okay, when a bunch of those spirit-led Christians all get together, kind of like we're doing right now, when a bunch of them get together, what does a spirit-led community look like of all us interacting together? So if you're taking notes, and I encourage you all to do so, okay? Uh, and junior high and high school students, there's a, a sermon note sheet out in the lobby at both campuses. I encourage you to take notes with you as well. And parents, be an example and take notes. Be engaged in the sermon this morning. So the main idea we're going to be discussing today from Galatians 6 is a spirit-led community bears one another's burdens. You can put that at the top of your sheet if you're taking notes. A spirit-led community bears one another's burdens, and Paul's going to flesh that out now. And what a coincidence, we're sitting here at two campuses here today, wanting and longing to be led by the Spirit of God in a gospel-centered community, so we may actually learn something today. Amen? All right, so let's dig into this. Galatians chapter 6. I'm going to read it. Read along with me in your Bibles. Galatians 6, not out loud. I have no idea what version you're using. That'd be weird. I'm using ESV, okay? Galatians chapter 6. Brothers, in our context, we can also say sisters. Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Okay? This is our passage this morning. There are five verses, and we're going to look, if taking notes, we're going to look at five traits of a spirit-led community this morning. So let's just dive in. Number one, if you're taking notes. Number one, a spirit-led community confronts. A spirit-led community confronts. Look at verse one again. Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. There are, there are many churches I've heard today, new churches forming, old churches being revitalized, that start off saying we are a church beginning as a new community built on love, built on acceptance, built on tolerance of all, 
And Paul wants to say right here, right up front, that when you are a spirit-led community, there is confrontation that happens, and there should be confrontation that happens. There's this there's a church I heard, I'm not going to say the name, a church on social media here in the United States that I was watching a video about them, and a pastor just boldly declares that, that how can, this is the pastor speaking of this church, how can a book that is thousands of years old tell us what to do here in 2017? And he goes on to say that this book is a, a mere framework for our lives, but does not tell us how to live our lives exactly. And I want to say right up front here, Foothill, that that is not who we are. We believe here at Foothill that this Bible is the inspired and fallible word of God written thousands of years ago, and it does tell us how to live our life. And it does tell us these are the things as Christians that we should do and should not do. And more importantly, when our lives are directed by the Holy Spirit, these are things the Spirit works in our lives. And when the gospel comes and changes us, this is how we act. So right here in Galatians chapter 6, the, Paul is not preaching tolerance. Paul is not preaching, well, it doesn't matter what's happening in your community, just go and love the person. There is a place for love, of course. But Paul here in verse 1 is, is, is bringing up something and saying, if there is sin that has come to light in the community. So in this situation, Paul is saying, look, yes, sin has come up. Now here's how you deal with it. So letter A, Paul is talking about those in the church. So a spirit-led community confronts, but he talks about those in the church. Okay, look at the very first word. What does the very first word say? Brothers and sisters, okay? Brothers and sisters, that is our first phrase that we open up with. He is talking, Paul is talking to those in the church. He's not talking about us going and railing out at the culture about what they may or may not be doing. There may be a place for that, but Paul right here in this scenario is saying those in the church, if any one of you is, is dealing with sin, there may be times to confront outside the sin, but Paul here is talking about those in the church, brothers and sisters in Christ. It reminds us that this is how we behave, church. This is how we act. Brothers, if anyone is caught in transgression, it says. So um, let me be clear here. Paul is not talking about busting people in their sin. Okay, Paul's not talking about you going around and catching people in their wrongdoing. Okay, like creeping around, following people. Gotcha! Okay, this isn't some sort of like sin police. Okay, you're not some sort of detectives out there like, go detect, see what your brothers and sisters are doing. Okay, this, Paul is not talking about that. A better word for this word caught. Okay, he uses the word caught. If anyone is caught in transgression. A better word or idea to think of this as is the idea of entangled or ensnared. Think of a, a, an insect in a web of a spider. Just can't get out. They can't get free. They are ensnared, entangled in this. So the idea is that someone, a Christian brother or sister, remember, in the church, is becoming overcome, over uh, entangled, ensnared, ensnared with sin. And he is not talking about a bad day, okay? Look, look. Everyone has a bad day. If someone is rude to me or short with me, I'm usually going to assume that they're, they're just having a bad day today, okay? You give grace to people. But uh, look, even if you're out, you see, you see a dude having a beer with his meal. It's not like, ah, gotcha, you're an alcoholic. I mean, you don't run to these weird assumptions. We're not talking about making judgments on people that aren't there. But if you, see, you begin to see patterns in people's life, you do, you do see that same gentleman. You see him, you see, notice he, he hasn't, come to church as much. You see his demeanor changing when he is around you. You might see his social media posts drastically changing. And 
there's just differences happening in his life. There's, there's a point at which Paul says, let go to that person. Restore him and see what's going on. Confronting people who become ensnared in sin. It's not a one-off. It's not having a bad day. God did not come to save us from our bad days. You, Christian, will have bad days over and over. But God came to rescue us from our sin. And parents, teach your kids this. At a young age, you can begin to instill this in your, in your children. Okay, we have this two-step rule in our house where, look, I, oh gosh, I hate tattletaling. It's the worst. Parents, do you hate tattletaling? I mean, you're like, ah, Jonas did this. Oh, literally, I have to like watch myself. Oh, like for the thousandth time, no, I don't care. So, so we have this two-step rule. Seriously, we have this two-step rule in our house. It's like, it's like if someone has done something to you or they're doing something they shouldn't be doing, don't run to mom and dad. Like we literally tell them, the first step is you go to the person. You go straight to the person. I mean, they'll come to me, hey, dad, jo- I don't hear it. I don't want to hear it. Go straight to the person. But no, no, I literally don't want to hear it. Go to them. Go to them. So we make them go to them. The second thing, if that doesn't work, then you come to mom and dad. We will help you. So parents, my five-year-old is beginning to learn this. You can teach your, your children some of these basic concepts of the, that we're not busting people. We're not catching people. We are, we are working gently to restore people. You can teach that to your children even now. Okay, keep reading verse one, okay? Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, let's stop there. That's an interesting phrase because um, you might be thinking, you who are spiritual, okay, I'm off the hook. I've been a Christian for um, a year or I'm not like that kind of Christian. I love Jesus, but, uh, but who's, who's the spiritual God that Paul is talking about? Is it, is it the, the spiritual varsity players of the church? Is it those who sit up front, which I got two here today? Is it, is it those who pray really loudly, pray really good? Those who've been attending the church the longest, the Kitchells in the back, is that, are they the spiritual varsity of this church? Paul here is going, he's not, it's not what he's talking about. Firmly, Paul, letter B here, Paul is talking about normal Christians. Okay? A spirit-led community confronts, and we're just talking about normal Christians. So who, who are the spiritual? Okay? A few verses back, he said, if you're filled with the spirit, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Okay? He lists all these things. It's just this normal Christian, okay? It's, it's redundant to say a spirit-filled Christian, okay? If you are a Christian, you have the spirit of God living inside of you. You are led by the spirit. And so Paul is saying, normal Christian, you who follow Christ, you who love Jesus, that person I talked about before in chapter five, that is you, you who are spiritual, okay? Keep reading. Anyone caught in transgression, you who are spiritual, what's our job? should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So let us see, Christians, we confront to restore, okay? We confront to restore. Paul gives us now the purpose. Why are we doing what we're doing? It's to restore our brother and sister to Christ. Paul uses this word to remind us that we're not sin detectives. We're not police going out there, catching people, busting people in their sin. We are working to restore because we are friends. We are co-heirs with Christ. And so this phrase, restore him, think of this word. It could also be thought of as repair. The same phrase is used in Matthew 4, where, where, where Jesus goes to the disciples and they're mending their broken nets, their fishing nets. They're mending their nets so that they can be used, these nets can be used to catch fish again. 
And Paul uses this phrase and says, this is why we do what we do. We mend to help repair, to help restore, so that you can be, as a Christian, be, be fully back into the body of Christ, fully accepting the word of God, and full following of Christ, and we restore our brothers and sisters. Okay? Again, we're not, I want to be very clear, we are not talking about a bad day, a tough day. Okay? There's a one-off sin someone does. Yeah, there's a, maybe a conversation, but there's, there's not, there's not, we're not approaching them to restore them. We all sin, all of us. Okay? But he uses this word gentleness, a spirit of gentleness. So letter D, restore gently. When you go to somebody, Paul says, you go in a spirit of gentleness. So that two-step rule I just talked about with my kids, most of the time now, they've got it down pretty well, but, but he, here's a good example of what happens most of the time. I'm in the kitchen, and I hear in the living room, uh, I hear like, Joseph, would you stop being so annoying, and your face is weird. Like, they just like randomly say these horrible things. They did what I told them to do. They confronted him all right. I mean, they, they went to him. But, and so I'm, I'm going in there, and I'm like, hey, remember how we do this? And in our, in our household, we use the word kindly. Like, you go to them kindly, okay? Gently. You talk to them gently, so let's try it again. They're like, Joseph, would you just stop being so annoying? And it's like, no, nah, try it again. Joseph, please be quiet. I'm like, okay, you're getting close. You're getting real close, buddy. Try it again. Joseph, would you please stop talking so loud? Ah, there you go. I mean, parents, you can teach this in your kids right now how to go to somebody gently. And the key for approaching this process gently for us as adults is watching our heart. Does it not start inside so many times? This whole passage we're looking at today is talking to you who are doing the confronting. They're not talking about the person who is in sin. We're talking about you who wants to go to your Christian brother or sister. Let me tell you how to do this. And one of the keys is doing it gently. When we see a brother or sister and they're absolutely drowning or entangled in sin, we search our own hearts, we search our own motives and to make sure that our motive is compassion. Because this isn't some sort of Christian Jerry Springer show. It's like, oh, well, you said you didn't cheat on your wife? Well, bring out your neighbor. I mean, this is not what we're doing as Christians. We can't be people littered with anger and, and pride. This, our motive when we go to somebody is this realization. Here's the realization. that If it wasn't for the grace of God, that would be me. Because look what he says. Look what Paul says in verse 1. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Paul is saying, look, when you go gently, you realize, look, if it wasn't for God's grace, that would be me right now. If it wasn't for God's grace in my life, I would be there. And how ignorant, how stupidly prideful you would be to go to your brother and sister with an attitude that says you have it all together, that you know what you're doing, and you're here to rescue them from their sin. But for the grace of God, that would be you. But for the grace of God, church, that would be me. And there will be times where that is you. And so you go gently. And, and look, a quick note, if someone ever comes to you, if you are ever the recipient of this kind of conversation where someone comes gently to you to restore you, don't let who that person is drive away the truth of what they're saying. Because you could easily point and turn the finger and say, yeah, well, I've seen you do this, 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 and that. So what do you say to that? I mean, look, you look deep enough into every person's life, you're going to find junk. You look deep enough in my life, there's junk in my life. So don't, don't ever wait for that perfect person to come confront you because you'll, you'll be waiting the rest of your life. And don't let their lack of gentleness throw away the truth of what they are saying. 
Someone may come in a spirit of pride and anger, and the truth of what they're saying is still very truthful, and you take that. So Galatians 6, 1, that's the first verse, outlines how a spirit-led community confronts one another, okay? We are in a community that does this. We do it lovingly and gently, okay? So let's keep moving. We're going to spend the rest of our time looking at the last few verses. Let's go to verse 2 now, okay? We looked at verse 1. Let's look at verse 2. Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens. This is our main idea of the day. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, so part of bearing one another's burdens is confronting in, uh, in sin. You see them entangled. They can't get free on their own. And so we go and we help them in their sin. Not only we do, do we do that, but Paul now is going to add on top of that. He's going to say, yes, you do. You do confront Christians in this community, but you also bear one another's burdens in their physical burdens. It could be, this word burden here in Galatians can be anything in someone's life. You've gone to Costco or Sam's Club and there's this huge box that has like two people lifting it on either side, okay? That's what Paul's talking about. This burden is just something that's too hard for you to carry on your own. So it could be anything. It could be, it could be sin in your life. It could be financial though. It could be emotional. It could be a spiritual battle. It could be a single mom just struggling to raise her boys. It could be, it could be a financial battle, struggling to pay the bills. It could be a sickness uh, of a wife in the home, and the, the father can't care for his wife and, and go to work full time at the same time. And there are burdens that people have in the community. And being a spirit-led community, church, means that we aren't cowards, that we aren't cowards to confront and sin, and we aren't cowards to come alongside people to help them in their burdens. And and. I know, I know there's probably been people burned here at Foothill that feel like their burdens haven't been carried. However, as I was thinking through this of how we've done this here at Foothill, I've thought there's dozens of stories I've thought about. I thought, think about um, the Moundy family. I think about them who, who they received two girls from the foster system in L.A. County and, and how they were uh, under, the, their girls may be taken away from them uh, and some circumstances are happening and how, how, how there's a group of people that gathered for prayer over at Baseline in the lobby one night to pray and call on God to work on behalf of the Moundy family, just spontaneously going to bear their burdens together. I think about a single mom in one of our growth groups who needed a fence repaired at her house, and a man volunteered in that growth group to fix it and even showed her teenage boys, hey, let me show you some stuff around here so you could help your mom. It's a practical ways. I think about John and Jen White, who's on staff here at Foothill, just recently had a baby. He was telling me how overwhelmed they were every night, meal after meal after meal being brought to their home, just bear the burden of the new baby in the house. Think about a college student in one of our growth groups who was taking a, a sort of missions trip to Uganda and raised all the money that he could on his own and had nothing left and still short. And that growth group came together and raised the rest of the money for him to send him to Uganda that summer. I mean, just such practical ways. This is what Paul's talking about. This is exactly what he's talking about. And he's talking about bearing one another's burdens. It's so practical that Paul says. So you look and say, what burdens as I as a Christian can I help with around here in this community? Again, Paul is talking about primarily in this passage, in this community, okay? There's something to be said for building water wells in Africa. But something first to be said of looking around you and saying, well, what has God put in my path right now? What has God put me around right now that I can help bear a burden with, okay? Let's keep moving. Verse three. For if anyone, verse three, he's gonna address the issue of pride here. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself, okay? So Paul is bringing pride now to the forefront. So number three, the third spiritual trait of a spirit-led community is a spirit-led community isn't conceited. 
Okay, number three, a spirit-led community isn't conceited. So talk about pride. Why is this environment to talk to people and confront them in their sins so rare sometimes? Or even, why is the environment of bearing burdens with one another, why is that so rare sometimes? And Paul's going to address it and say, it's because of your pride. Because when you think you're something, when you're actually nothing, you're deceiving yourself. The reason that you don't see others' burdens and I don't see other people's burdens is because sometimes I think our own burdens need to be carried. Okay, and the more the world is all about you, then the more frustrated you're just going to be. But the more the world around you is not about you, the more free you are. We talked about this at the beginning. The more free you are to hear, to receive confrontation, to let someone come and carry your burden with you. But our pride says that others should be helping us. Our pride says, why aren't there people helping me in my distress? Why aren't people helping me carry my burdens? But those who, like we talked about at the beginning, rest that they are children of God and their identity is found in him, have been set free to notice others, to notice their burdens and not whine and complain about your own burdens not being carried. I love the practicalities. So part of our community that we here have here is that there is no pride. We look around and we aren't worried if someone's not carrying my burden. You just look around and you say, you know what? I'm a child of God. What's around me? What has God placed in my path for me to carry? And we live in that instead of the pride that says, I am something. Let's keep moving. Verse 4. Galatians 6, 4. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not his neighbor. Stop there. And you're like, boast in himself? Wait, what? You're like, this is weird, Shane. Paul, the whole time now, has been talking about looking outward, about bearing others' burdens. And, and now he says, look in your own heart and boast. And you might be saying, aha, the Bible has errors. I told you, Shane. Oh, no, Bible is infallible. So pay close attention to what he's saying. Read that verse again, verse 4. But let each one test his own work. Okay, that's what you're doing, what you do. But then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not his neighbor, the person away from him. So let me give you this example. I go to this um, fitness center, let's call it that for now, here in Glendora. And um, each morning, not each morning, three times a week, my wife and I go. And generally we go at 6 a.m. Okay, we, we should get up really early. 6 a.m., we're there and we work out. And at 6 a.m., there's a lot of, um, let's just say, younger folks there, okay, some younger, working people, a little more athletic, <laughs> Danny's laughing, she's talking about, and, and, and you just, a lot of go-getters, okay, a lot of go-getters in the room, and man, I'm working out, and there's this lady lady there at 6 a.m. a lot named KP, okay, so that's what she goes by, and like, I'm working out, and I'm like, dude, I'm doing awesome, I'm doing awesome, and I look over, and I'm looking at KP, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I kind of get embarrassed. I'm like, oh my gosh, she's a monster. She is awesome. And I'm working out, I'm comparing myself to what she's doing, and I automatically feel uh, uh, inferior to her. So there's these random days, though, that I go maybe at 8.30 or 9.30, and um, let's just say the folks are a little older. And uh, great, great people, great people. But for some reason, 8.30 and 9.30, I am really strong. I mean, I am just <laughs> pumping it. I am crushing the gym scene. I look around like, yes, look how strong I am. And I go home, I take off my shirt, and like, look how strong I became today, Katie. And I mean, I mean the, you look outside yourself to falsely build yourself up, 
or falsely press yourself down. And this is exactly what Paul is saying not to do. In the same way, you don't look outside yourself to boast. You don't look in, in the spiritual world. You don't say, I've got, I'm dealing with this sin right now. But, dude, I am not as bad as that guy over there. He's got it really going on. Oh, I mean, we don't do that. Paul is saying in a community, we get ourselves, our eyes off of other people and on to being obedient to Christ. That I am not looking around myself to measure my obedience against the standards of other people, but rather I measure myself and my obedience against the standard of his word, okay? If you're older in the room, I love you. You're great. You're awesome. I hope I'm still exercising when I'm, when I'm your age. So, so, so Paul is saying, Paul is saying here that our standard is this. And you don't look outside yourself, okay? A spirit-led community doesn't compare yourself to other people. Okay, lastly, let's go to our fifth and final verse today. Galatians 6, verse 5. For each one, short verse, each one will have to bear his own load. And again, you're like, what? Talk about bearing burdens for other people and now we're carrying our own load here? What is Paul saying? Number five. A spirit-led community carries their own loads. Okay, write that down. Number five, a spirit-led community, this is our fifth and final trait, carries their own loads. So here's what Paul's doing. Paul is now making a distinction between burdens and loads. And there are, there are distinctions and differences between them. Remember what a burden is, okay? A burden is that two-carry box at Costco. You can't carry it on your own. It does require someone else to come over and help you lift it and help you to carry it. But a load, a load is something you can carry and you should carry on your own. He commands you. You carry that on your own. I think back to uh, a time when uh, Stephen Coppenrath, he's over at Baseline. Hey, Stephen. Uh, Stephen Coppenrath, uh, uh, about 10 years ago, took a cruise uh, with his wife. Awesome. So as a good friend, I watch his dog for him. And uh, his dog is in a kennel at nighttime. He's kind of a bigger dog, by the way. And uh, about midnight, I'm woken up, go out in the living room where the dog is, and there's just diarrhea everywhere from this dog. And I'm cleaning up Stephen's dog's diarrhea in my living room. It's all over the wall and the carpet and the kennel. It's awful. I'm pretty sure that's a load he should have carried. <laughs> so... There are loads in our life that, that we should just carry on. You're on a backpacking trip. Use this as an example. You're on a backpacking trip. And, and you're all, you all uh, in the morning, you wake up, you pack your tents, you pack your backpacks, you carry your load, and you start walking. That's a load you should carry. It'd be very weird if your buddy was like, hey, can you carry my load too? We're like, why? He's like, can you just carry my load? I'm like, no, I'm not carrying your load. That's your load to carry. It'd be different if that dude got a broken foot the day before. That's now a burden that he can't carry on his own. Do you see the differences? Loads should and can be carried on your own, and burdens are something that you come alongside. So here's another way we interact with it. What opportunities do you have in your life that I don't have? What is God calling you to that he's not calling me to? Many of you have opportunities that I don't have, and many, I have opportunities that many of you don't have. Okay, for me, for example, for me, it's really hard to even have interactions with people who, who don't love Jesus. I mean, I work at Foothill Church. I mean, I interrupt people praying together in their offices, okay? I mean, I, I like, oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, you want to go lunch afterwards? Cool, let's go, okay. I mean, I am around Christians all day. For you, many of you, you go to work, and it's like, 
boom, there's non-Christians everywhere. And you, you are surrounded with non-Christians, the people who don't love Jesus, the people who don't know Jesus, and that is your load to carry. It'd be, it'd be weird for you to say, man, I really wish I worked at Shane's working environment. I would love just to be praying all day. That's not what we do, though. But praying all day, studying God's word all day. I would love to do that, but that's not the load God's given you. And it'd be, it'd be equally as wrong for me to be like, man, I wish I was just around more non-Christians more during the work. No, that's not the load God's given me to carry. God's given you your workplace. God's given you your community. That is your school you're in. That's, that's your hobby. It's your neighborhood. That's the men and women that God's put you around. You carry your load, and I'll carry my load. And parents, this is why we have family services a few times a year. One of the reasons we have family services is to remind you that you are the primary, dis- primary disciples of your children. That is your load to carry. And the church will come alongside and help equip and strengthen you and give you resources, but it's your load to carry, not ours. We want to equip you in that, help you in that. So, so to close, if you're taking notes, you can just put your notes down, even put your Bibles down. How are the, what are the practicalities coming out? Let's just close for a couple minutes and just, just talk as family here, as a community, community together. Here's one thing I want you to ask yourself. Have you allowed yourself to be in community? Okay, actually ask yourself that. Have you allowed yourself to be in community? Because this entire passage assumes you are in a Christian community. And I'm not talking about coming and sitting down in a chair or a pew on Sunday morning. That doesn't place you in community. That just helps you listen to me talk. But are you in a place where you're in a Christian community? Do you have friends in your life who can do what Paul is saying? Do you have friends who can confront you to help restore you? Do you have friends you can do that to? I'm not talking about family members at this point. I'm talking about friends. Do you have people around you, those type of people who can say, hey, uh, this is what I've been noticing right now. Is this, I, I feel like this is not a place you should be at. And do you have people that you can do that to? Are you in a Christian community? Not have you been in a Christian community. Are you currently allowing yourself to be in a community? Like, simple things. Have you joined a growth group ever? And if you have, are you barely there like half the time? Because that doesn't help. There's a thing on, your, on everyone's seats at both campuses. It says lead by serving. It should basically just say how to be in a Christian community. I mean, this is what, you're going to hear a story in a a few weeks from now about a group of guys who joined a service team here at Foothill to serve, and they serve, and they become the best of friends, and not just friends having fun together, but friends keeping each other accountable, and and doing what Galatians 6 is talking about, allowing themselves to be in community, to help restore, to help help, uh, take each other's sin and say, hey, I see you doing this, I think you should stop. This is what Galatians 6 is talking about. Do you lift your hands in worship, but yet your heart isn't behind it? Do you give in the offering just enough to make yourself feel good? Do you know how to say the word gospel in front of anything, just to make yourself sound like you know exactly what you're talking about here at church, but yet home and work, you're someone completely different? Another question, this might seem simple, but are you entangled in sin? Not do you sin. We all should answer to that question, yes, Are you entangled in sin? If you are a spirit-led Christian, you know if you are. But it's sometimes hard to get out on your own. But it's sometimes great just to acknowledge, saying, God, I am. God, the Bible takes sin seriously. If you talk about us being a tolerant church that just tolerates sin, no, we're not. 
If you are a Christian, if you profess to be a Christian, if you say, I love Jesus, then we will not tolerate sin. We will love you and restore you gently, but we're not tolerant church in that manner. Now, if you say, I, I don't love Jesus, I'm just here because I, a friend invited me, then we love that you're here. If you say, I don't know who Jesus is, I don't want to know who Jesus is, I, I deal with all these things in my life and I'm fine with it, we want you here at Foothill. We love that you're here. But if you say, if you take that next step and say, I am now putting myself in a spirit-led community. I now want to be held accountable. I now want to produce these things in my life through the power of the spirit. Then a spirit-led community comes alongside and says, we want to help you with that. We want to bear that burden with you because you can't do it on your own. Lastly, are there those you've seen drowning that you've been too cowardly to engage? So Paul would say, again, not talking about the culture outside these walls. Are there Christian brothers and sisters that you have been too cowardly to engage and to help them to bear that burden? It is very clear here that a spirit-led community engages one another with pervasive and patterned sin. So do you do this? Or do you turn your back like a coward, afraid to point out someone's sin in their life because you're afraid of what they're going to say to you or how they're going to react? And it all goes back to this. Where is your identity? Who do you belong to this morning? Because if your identity is in Jesus Christ, then being entangled in sin will just, will, will at the very least frustrate you. You'll be like, God, I need help with this. And if you see a brother and sister entangled in sin, you know who your identity is. You know who you belong to. So you go to them and you're freed up to talk gently and lovingly to them and saying, here's what I've seen in your life, brother. Here's what I've seen in your life, sister. Let's talk about this. Because when you aren't there and able to rest in who you are, a child of God, it is impossible to do any of this that Paul's talking about. So that's really where we end, is who do you belong to? Do you know you're a child of God? Have you embraced that part of the gospel? That you can rest like a day at play. My kids get in the car and they rest and they don't have to think about falling asleep. They just do. They don't have to think about driving. It happens for them. That's the spirit of God working in your life to give you rest, to enable you to do this. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for Galatians 6. Thank you for Paul. We thank you for your word, which we attribute as being the infallible, spirit-filled word of God that does speak to us today. We affirm today, God, that your word is not a mere framework for our lives, but it it is the base for our lives every single day. And we thank you for that. God, I, I, I pray for this word that has been preached from Galatians 6. And I ask God that it would bear fruit in each one of our lives. For everyone here at Grand and those at Baseline this morning, that, that there would be fruit that comes from this preached word of God, that your word would bear fruit in our lives. We would see what Paul even says in Galatians 5, the fruit of the spirit coming out, that we would see the gentleness coming out, that when we go to approach brothers and sisters, we would see a gentleness coming out in how we interact. There would not be pride, that our interactions with brothers and sisters would not be a, a, a littered with pride or superiority or anger, but we would, we would interact with one another 
at a gentle and loving level. Help us, God. Help us, we pray. We ask all this in your name. Amen.